This episode of Fermented Adventure the Podcast features Ben Wink. It was recorded at Plowman Cider in Adams County, Pennsylvania. Please take a moment to subscribe to be notified when the most recent episode has been uploaded. Feel free to reach out to Plowman Cider and let them know what you thought about the podcast. Cheers! Ladies and gentlemen, craft spirit enthusiasts, and those interested in the intoxicating world of craft distilleries, cideries, meaderies, wineries, and the occasional foray into breweries. It's Rich Sheen, and welcome to Fermented Adventure, the podcast, where we bring you the fascinating people that are making the mash, fermenting, distilling, bottling, pouring, and delivering to you some of the finest libations in the world. Before we get started, here are a few housekeeping items. Thank you for bringing the podcast into wherever you are and whatever you're doing. We truly are grateful that you've chosen to listen and make us part of your day. It would mean the world to us if you left a five-star review. This helps us climb in the rankings and it makes it easier for others to find us. Don't hesitate to leave us your comments as well. If the podcast didn't meet your expectations, tell us why. We're always striving to improve. You can find us at fermentedadventure.com. We are on Instagram and Facebook as Fermented Adventure. Email us at fermentedadventure at gmail.com. All right, F.A. Nation, let's meet our guest. He's Ben Wink. I'm Rich Shane. Dawn Ranieri's here, and this is the Fermented Adventure podcast. And today we are in Adams County, and we're visiting with Plowman Cider. Ben, welcome to the podcast. Awesome. Thank you for having me, guys. So, so we're actually here on the farm, and this goes back, this is your family's farm since when? We've been here since 1901. We've been farming in this area since sometime in the 1820s. Now, when did cider? I mean, has it always been an apple producing farm? What? What? So it's always been apple producing. Well, not always, but since the 60s, it's been uh, concentrating on apples. Uh, before that, it was a more general farming operation. You know, livestock, grains, things of that nature. We have been growing apples since the. 19 teens okay. sometime, but uh, really uh, refocused on them in the, in the mid-1960s. Now, cider itself, how has that progressed in terms of the, the industry and business for you? I mean, in, in the 19-teens, was, was it more apple eating or was it more cider producing? What was the, what's the history of cider for you on this farm? Uh, very recent. Um, you know, if there was cider made here even you know for personal use or recreationally we don't have any record of it or any family history of it it's something i kind of discovered when i started attending farmers markets in places like philadelphia um i really didn't know much about it until uh yeah i had a strong bow after a, a market in philadelphia and it was uh, a very different experience than some other ciders that i'd had and just kind of captured my fascination and Started educating myself and, um, you know, took a long time from kind of that first moment of inspiration to actually having a, a commercial cider company here. But um, a long and, and winding road, but we, we finally got here. All right. So take us, what, about what time is that? What year are we talking that you were down in Philadelphia and you discovered a little bit of Strongbow and then this kind of got your interest? Sure. So I uh, came back from college, uh, graduated in 2006. Uh, from Penn State, and um, 2007, was working at Cooperative Extension, started um, attending these farmer's markets, so that was the first year we did markets was 07, and it was even that first year of markets where I, you know, my dad and I were were uh, having one after market, you know, we had a good day, and so we were sitting down and relaxing, and ordered a strongbow, not even knowing it was cider, 
in 2007. And that, it was so different from, you know, you know just cloyingly sweet, fizzy ciders that I might have had in college. It really uh, just kind of changed my whole perspective on it. And from there, started uh, seeking out other ciders that were, were a little bit more dry, had a little bit more character, and started getting books about it. And that fall, uh, we started pressing fresh cider for the farmer's markets. And at that point, I'm like, well, if this stuff goes to market and doesn't sell and it's not at its best, why don't I just put it in a barrel and ferment it and see what yeah. happens? Yeah, exactly. So even that first fall after we started attending markets, I was, you know, I didn't really know what I was doing, but I knew that I could take what would have been a waste product, you know, cider that uh, wasn't, that still had a lot of life, but wasn't good enough to sell as fresh cider. Um, our cider is UV treated, so it has like a 14 day shelf life, no matter what. And so I just bought a bunch of bourbon barrels down at a homebrew store in Frederick and uh, didn't know what I was doing. Just put all the cider in there, put a couple packages of yeast in there, an airlock, and just waited. And, you know, that's one of the cool things about cider is, you know, you can learn how to do it in an afternoon and take you a lifetime to master it. So, um, (laughs) yeah, made my first home batches back in 2007 and, you know, was uh, rather pleased with the results for a novice and, you know, just started reading and educating myself from there. So 2007, when did this become more of a commercial small batch craft cider business for you guys? Sure. Um, you know, really, it our first product was released in December of 16. But, you know, it would go back before that. One of the first things we did when we were confident that we were going to do this as, you know, as a, a new enterprise was to plant our block of cider apple trees. Because the apples that make the best cider are not the same ones that we're already growing. So you're talking four, 2020, we're talking about four years ago, and then maybe a little bit of thought prior to that to start, I mean, I don't know how long these trees take to mature, but you're probably three years prior to that where you're starting to get good apples for what you're looking to produce. You're really now, so you made the decision maybe nine years ago at this point. Yeah. You, I guess, what was the conversation like between you and your father and your family to, to, to turn this towards being a, a cider producing you know, business for you. Sure. So, yeah, our family farm is Three Springs Fruit Farm. It's owned by me, my father, and my uncle. And, you know, the cider company is really just an extension of that. And you said you're ways. seventh generation now. Yeah, I'm the seventh generation of my family to farm in this part of northern Adams County. And uh, we've moved all of about a half a mile since the 1820s. 1818 is when we first settled here. Um, so you can't go anywhere in the neighborhood because people know who you are. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah, it's definitely... I mean, you can, and everywhere you go, people know, you know, your family. Yes, that's that's definitely true. You know, we're we're well-established here. That's very, you know, it, it, and, you know, it's a, it's a you know, small-town community around here. Everyone kind of knows each other, and, um, you know, and for the most part, like, you know, keeps an eye on everybody's stuff. We're all, you know, very... Uh, neighborly and cooperative as far as that goes it's a nice part of, a, of a living in this part of the world um so yeah we uh it, it the the process of getting these exact trees uh does take a little bit longer because you have to get them custom budded for you in other words like these cider varieties you know especially at that time this would have been oh boy uh 2000 so this is probably ordering trees in like 2014 to plant them in 2015 and, um, if, you know, we could, we could walk out there, uh, a little bit later on, this is actually going to be the first 
kind of large crop of fruit we've had on that specific block. So all these years later, um, it takes, it definitely takes a while, but you know, that's why, uh, you know, as a fruit grower, we're always kind of investing in the future. You know, this is something for us that at any time you, you plant, uh, a block of tree fruit, a block of apples, you know, you're investing money today and you don't have a chance of breaking even until at least year three or four. So, so it's all it's very it's very consistent with with producing bourbon <laughs> exactly or a barrel aged spirit. Same thing. You you have the juice. You have to just sit and wait. You don't know what the outcome's going to be, but if you take the time and understand what you're doing, exactly. And that you know it does translate very easily to our 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 kind of philosophy and our cider making. You know we're always trying to do the best possible thing we can with the best possible apples and the best juice. And in a lot of cases that does involve maturation times where the, the beverage is just sitting there fully fermented and just, you know, just a lot of the, the greener character is falling out and you're getting a lot more, uh, you know, fruity aroma and getting a lot more kind of complex, like, you know, like confectionery aromas. Those things can take a long time to develop in maturation. And so, you know, waiting for things to get right is just a part of a fruit grower's job. It's part of uh, uh, cider making the way we make cider. And um, so, yeah, it's a lot of hurry up and wait, it seems sometimes, but it's something we're comfortable with. Now, you said block. How many fruit trees or how many apple trees are going into a block? What, what's about the size of that? Well, it really can vary. Um, you know, a lot of times blocks are determined by uh, maybe what was planted there before. It could be determined by you know, uh, the, the hillsides and the contours. And so we're, so there's no real set answer to that question. It's going to be more determined by, you know, what the most appropriate use of a specific area of land is. And, you know, the, the, the characteristics of the land, whether it be the soil, the slope, um, again, what was planted there previously, you know, all those things are going to play a role into what the ideal thing is and how we would manage it. Because sometimes, you know, if the block is more flat, we can plant more trees per unit of land. And if the block is more sloped, just because of equipment conserves, we might space those trees out a little bit further, just in case, you know, if it slicks some morning, we don't end up, you know, dragging our equipment down into a whole row of trees and, and taking you know, those out. Exactly. So it's, it's very variable. Um, but that also allows us the opportunity to really, when you're, when you're starting a new block to really focus in on getting things exactly right. Because, you know, whereas if, if you're growing, you know, any kind of annual agricultural production, whether it's vegetables or grains or anything like that, you know, you're going to plant that every year. So you're, you're, you're talking about planting a row of trees. Sure. So, yeah, you know, if in, in other types of agriculture where they're perennial, I'm sorry, annual crops like grains and vegetables and stuff, you're going to plant that field every year. In the case of us as tree fruit growers, you know, a specific field, we might only plant it every 30 years or 40 years. It's very rare. There's only a, a few blocks that my dad has planted twice, you know. Where so, the, so, the, so we're looking out the window. There's, it's, sure. a, it's a beautiful vista, a beautiful hillside. You see apples. I mean, even driving out here, I mean, even for 10 miles, all we saw, I, I don't know what, I, I thought there were apple trees. It could have been peach trees. I don't know. But we're like in Apple County. Why did they call this Apple County, Pennsylvania? Yeah. So Adams County is the fifth largest apple producing county by volume of apples produced in the United States. Um, annual 
bushelage is about 7.8, so almost 8 million bushels in a typical year here in Adams County. And there's a few reasons for this. One, we have great well-drained soils uh, that are deep, um, you know, uh, generally like limestone shale residuals, uh, really nice soils that can grow any number of things. But because they are deep and can allow for a root penetration of a, an apple tree, uh, that's a, a real advantage. And all these beautiful hillsides that you mentioned, they create a lot of air drainage. So in the springtime, when sometimes you have some some uh, late cold weather that could potentially uh, damage the crop while it's in its bloom stage, all that cold air is going to like funnel down and, 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 and fall to the bottom of the hill. We don't plant in the bottom of the hill. We leave those creek bottoms just on their own. And all those hillsides, the drainage adds a little bit of protection to keep that blossom from freezing out in the, in the spring. So those are the two primary reasons. And I guess third, kind of in a more economic way, uh, the backbone of the Adams County apple industry has typically been processing apples. So Nows Foods Cooperative is in our county. They make Lucky Leaf and Musselman's products. Yeah, I'm thinking applesauce, yeah, right? exactly. So uh, that was actually part of the inspiration for my grandfather switching the farm from a general farming operation with livestock and grains into focusing on apples was the formation of the, the co-op, which is Nows Foods Cooperative. Uh, back, uh, you know, we joined, uh, again in the mid 1960s and, you know, that has always been kind of, you know, it, it's, it's one thing to have a, an area suitable for growing apples, but then you have to have a place to sell it. And so now foods has been that for a long time. Increasingly, we're seeing more of our fruit growers, ourselves included, planting more fresh market varieties and have those get packed for grocery stores. And a rice fruit company is going to be the they're the largest uh, packer of fresh fruit, and they're also here in northern Adams County. Looking out and the, the east coast, too, I'm sorry, I, I should the largest packer of fresh fruit on the east, east coast. Obviously, Washington's the <coughs> the big packing operation. Okay, well, yeah. they're out on the west coast, exactly. And but I'm looking out this window. I mean, how old are the trees that we're looking out on this window at? Sure. So directly behind me, as I turn and face the mic and gesture behind me. <laughs> Um, is uh, So that's a, a block of ginger gold, which is actually a, an early ripening a variety that we have actually already picked. <laughs> Here it is. It's, it's, that's not going to bear fruit for a whole other year yet. Um, and that block is, I would put it at about eight years old. Something in that range. Uh, yeah, seven, eight years old. And just below that is actually some trees that we top worked onto a cider variety called Freakin' Rouge, which we're really excited about. We have some Sopa Spitzenberg there. We have some Nittany. And then below that is uh, an older block. Um, and that older block is kind of one of the last couple of blocks that we have still on the farm that was, you know, grown specifically for that processing apple market for applesauce, apple pie filling, apple juice, uh, those types of products that are marketed by Lucky Leaf and Musselman's. And that's a, a block of Yorks and Golds on a size seven rootstock. And that for a long time was like the bread and butter of Adams County uh, tree fruit agriculture was Yorks and Golds. Yorks are a local heirloom that was discovered in York County and Golden Delicious, obviously a ubiquitous, everyone knows it kind of apple. So it's, so I, I, I'm excited because it sounds like through what's going on here, you're changing your whole production thought process of what you're growing on the farm here. Yes. Is that is that about a sense of what I get? 
Yeah, and there was a specific moment where I kind of had that snap where I realized, you know, I, I, I wrote a business plan when we started this this cider company and I, I pitched it to my father and uncle the same as I would any uh, non-family member that I might be trying to get in business with. And um, at the time, my understanding was, you know, this is something we're already comfortable and, and good at growing processing fruit. We'll just be processing it ourselves We'll be getting, you know, the full realization of the of the finished product, all those dollars between the, you know, the farm gate and the finish and the end consumer. And so that was kind of what that business plan was based on. And something happened on the way to setting up the business that way that was really important. That was uh, when I watched the PBS documentary of Botany of Desire. And in that documentary, they spoke with Steve Wood of Farnham Hill Cider up in Lebanon, New Hampshire. And one of the first things he said on camera was just like, it was like the epiphany, the like lightning bolt moment when he said, cider is not a value added product. And like, as soon as he said it, I'm like, I just wrote a whole business plan that said it was, what, what, what are you talking about? Right. And so Why are you contradicting me? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was right out of college. I thought I knew everything, right? Like so many people are when they get out of college, but anyhow, so <laughs> that's what I heard. I'm like. What is he talking about? And then he goes into detail. He's like, you know, if you're going to make cider, you need to be using varieties that are suitable for cider. You know, bittersweets, bitter sharps. And if you're committed to making cider the right way, you're going to need to use these varieties. And when you commit to using these varieties, there is no secondary use for a bittersweet or bitter sharp apple. You can't make juice. You can't make pie. You can't eat them as snacks. You can't enjoy them on a cheese board. You know, when you're growing bittersweet and bitter sharp apples, there's only about one thing so, you can do with so it. So <laughs> you're all in. So if you decide, if yes. you decide to plant this crop, you're all in when these are just going to be cider producing apples. Exactly. And, and you know, I didn't realize it at the time, but that I started studying these things after I heard Steve talk about this. And, um, yeah. That really was, again, like an aha moment, and it really changed uh, our goals and our expectations, and we did start growing these varieties, and um, again, we have a huge crop on those trees for the first time this year. It's really exciting, some of the cider that we'll be able to produce in, you know, 2021 and 2022 based on that fruit, and, you know, it took me going around and trying ciders from all over the world that were using these apples for me to connect what Steve had said to the goals and ambitions of what we wanted to do here. So... You really, you really, I mean, we've met a couple times. We met at Port of the Core at the Navy Yard, which yeah. sadly isn't happening this year. Yeah. Um, we met at Philly Cider Fest, which I don't know how they're going to do that this year. I think they're just, you go individually to the cider producers and they'll maybe have some small um, samplings or, or maybe some special releases that they'll do mm-hmm. beyond their basic. So we're, you, you're very passionate about this. Yeah. And, and where did that come from? Is it was it was it this documentary? Was it was it that there are moments in time, and it seems like you've had a, 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 quite a few mentors, but but now what that transfers, and what I hear you say is you're now education wise, knowledge wise, production wise, you're one of those rising leaders in this industry. Well, I, I don't know about that. I, I there's I still have a lot of folks like you said who I consider you know mentors who you know are can completely outclass me in the knowledge of these things. And I, I aspire to be more like those folks all the time. Um, for me, the thing that is most exciting 
about our cider company and growing uh, fruit for cider is, um, for one, it, 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 I think, has the best match to what we can do in this area. Not only is this area great at growing apples, not only can we produce a large volume of quality apples to do the things we want to do, in this cider company and some of the other folks making cider here in Adams County, but also we're in a position to be a really nice, you know, day trip or, or weekend vacation for people who, you know, are passionate about cider and passionate about, you know, really any, uh, you know, farm sourced food or beverage. Uh, you know, we can, we can, you know, make all those things here in Adams County and to make this area a destination for, you know, people who are looking to get out of the, the city or to invite people out here to just witness the, you know, beautiful, rich, green open spaces that we still have here in Northern Adams County and the rolling hillsides filled with apples. Like it's, it's, it's really fun to like share like our ancestral home with a, a region of people who appreciate agriculture and, you know, what agriculture can provide to somebody who loves food and beverage. Well, you're talking about appreciation. And I think that leads into the timing of what you've done here and what your family's done here into the rebirth and the explosion of the cider industry. So you're really, that's why I say, I think you're part of that. I think, you know, you're, you're a leader in helping to lead the way because in a sense of your knowledge of what you need to grow and produce, but you're actually, you know, there are cider makers that would buy juice and there are cider makers that are actually growing and controlling those apples. And, and I think that gives you that, that little, little more of that front seat view to see what's going to happen with the cider industry. So where, where are you seeing things now that the cider industry is more exploded and people are now, it's, it's almost like, Hey, I'm going to go to a craft brewery. I'm going to go to a craft cidery. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to open up, you know, this beer, I'm going to open up an IPA. Well, I'm going to open up a hoppy cider today. So there's all that going on in the industry. Talk about, you know, that you've seen and been a part of and and what you see in the future for that. Sure. Um, You know, we're, we're definitely still seeing growth in cider um, on a, you know, broad national and even on a statewide scale. You know, uh, you know, speaking as I also am the current president of the Pennsylvania Cider Guild, uh, certainly anyone who's interested in Pennsylvania Cider, I encourage you to learn more about what we do and consider membership in the Cider Guild. So um, that is an organization that, you know, even here we are in, you know, pandemic 2020, we're still seeing uh, new businesses become Cider Guild members who are cideries and planning, you know, they're opening their cider business even in the midst of all this. So it's encouraging to see people are still excited to start their cider business here in Pennsylvania, and you know they're they're really positive and 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 um, you know excited about what the future can hold for cider, and I share that enthusiasm for sure. Um, in terms of specifically in the cider industry, um, we've also seen in terms of like Nielsen data and stuff like that that there's been a little bit of a peak on larger brands, and and the the you know there's just just meteoric rise in, in, in cider across the United States for a period of time, it started to level off a little bit. But if you look at the, the more detailed numbers, like you go inside and, and look at some of the, 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 the smaller trends, you're still seeing those local and regional cideries you know, growing on a similar curve as the beginning of the cider's ascendancy. So um, we feel like, you know, 
we can be part of that, that we have a role to play in, in being, a, you know, part of that, you know, local and regional cider scene and, you know, making people feel invested in, you know, local companies using local agricultural products. Um, specific to the beverage itself, um, I feel like in a lot of ways, it, people tend to look at cider as, and this is speaking in the broader beverage industry scene. Like if you, if you were to go to a bar that has, uh, you know, 12 taps, you might find one cider on tap. You go to a bar that has 20, you might start seeing a second one. And, you know, I'm really seeing that at least savvy uh, bar managers and the people who are purchasing this beverage are starting to see, well, you know, cider has just as broad a category of different styles, not quite so much as beer, but you can think about it the same way. You know, you can have, uh, you know, very sessionable, low ABV ciders that have, that they're very appley and fruity and stuff like that. And you can go the whole way through, you know, something that's you know much more complex and rich and, and acid driven and has, uh, you know, this, this nice bittering finish and mouthfeel, you know, the same way you talk about beers as, you know, Pilsners, Ales, Stouts, you know, there are categories that are widely different within cider and, you know, can actually be served different ways. You know, our, our Rosedale that we just bottled yesterday, it's, uh, 8.9%. So, you know, the idea of you filling a pint glass with that is, you know, no one's going to pour you, you know, a uh, uh, like a Baltic porter that's 9%, a big full pint glass. So, you know, you have to get people to start thinking about cider in a different way because... So you think you're... And again, there are a couple things I'm thinking about as you're describing this. First of all, do you think the ascendancy of craft cider and the maybe leveling off of a larger producing, more of a mass production, do you think, and I'll, I'll give a little pun here, but do you think that you're taking a bite out of that mass market by educating... By, by, by providing a product, like you said, that there's so many different quality, there's so many different characteristics. It's not just cider. You, you introduce something to the public, and you can have a lager. You can have a porter, as you said. You can have an IPA, but you've got more of a dry cider or a hop cider or an aged cider or all these different ways of producing this. Do you think that that's the education process, that's the experience of the consumer that's really helping to elevate that adding another tap and adding another tap and, and, and where people are going with that? Yeah, I think that, you know, certainly, and this is the case in a lot of other, I mean, there, I could draw similarities to farmer's markets and apples in the same way. You know, the folks who are, you know, starting in a very direct-to-consumer farmer's market hand-selling kind of way, you know, those are relationships that are going to be a little bit different than, you know, a larger company that just has a big ad budget and puts a bunch of television and radio ads out. You know, that's that they're they're both effective, but they're effective in different ways. And, you know, certainly I'm my feeling is that that, you know, very tight knit one on one relationship that a smaller cider company like ours going to farmers markets every week. And we just saw you at the Gettysburg Farmers Market. Yeah, yeah. And, Shearson and, and was right there from holding there, this down. Yeah, I mean right from there you have your tap room Right in the square in, in Gettysburg. So there's obviously, I mean, what are there, two or three, I, I don't know, cideries in Gettysburg right now? Sure. So our Adams County producers, um, 
Reeds uh, was one of the first. Uh, they're good friends of ours. Uh, their orchard is right up here in the Buchanan Valley, which is not far from where we sit here in uh, northern Adams County. So they make wine and cider. They've been doing it for a long time. Certainly the largest and, and uh, best known and wide, most widely distributed cidery here in Adams County would be Jack's, who just opened their new uh, restaurant out on uh, the intersection of uh, US 15 and Pennsylvania 97, right off of 15 uh, is, uh, I believe it's called Mela Kitchen, uh, Jack's Hard Cider. So they, they just opened their new restaurant. Um, also here in Pennsylvania, we have Big Hill. Uh, so Big Hill Cider Works is about to open their uh, tap room sometime around Labor Day. So as we're recording here, really only a week or two away, uh, they'll be open to the public as well. So, you know, we've got this momentum here of, you know, orchardists who are, you know, growing the fruit, making the cider, and inviting the public out to experience cider in the orchard. I love that because it's almost the same process as we saw these craft breweries open up. And I think it's it's turning people's heads. And it's yeah. giving them a chance to stop and say, let's try that. And then once you have that experience and you try that, I, I think you're hooked. I think you really are. And, you know, it's almost like you, you, you learn to appreciate different wines. Yeah. That's that's the consistency I see. Sure. And, you know, that's something that you had mentioned about the education factor. And, you know, that's, that's I think, part of what we're trying to do here in Adams County as well. You, you, you mentioned the taproom. Just those two things kind of combined for me for a second. But like, I've, I've made it one of my goals. Every Monday we have cider school. And it's just this thing on the square where, you know, just because our community grows almost 8 million bushels of apples doesn't necessarily mean that they're – you know, born with a, a knowledge and appreciation of cider and how it's made. So I think it's kind of snuck up on everybody. It has, right? it really has. And, you know, again, I, and this is something I, I hope to talk with our local historic society here, the historical society in Adams County. I, I don't really know like what the history of cider is before this modern push that had actual commercial, uh, you know, alcoholic cider being made here. I mean, certainly there's been a, a history of, uh, you know, fresh cider and juice and shelf staple juice for a long time. But what the history of the, the alcoholic fermented beverages in this county is still widely unstudied and unknown. I would imagine as we look at colonial history, as we look at those that came to the United States, it was almost as if every farmer probably had, as you pointed out, hey, we've got some extra apples. And we can't sell them or we can't eat them. These are the, you know, not, not the pretty apples. Right. So we make cider. So every yeah. individual farmer probably had some process of pressing the juice and then it fermented and they made cider. Yeah. Yeah. There's plenty of like oral history in this part of the county where, you know, well, I remember great granddad had a barrel and he used to keep it in the basement and stuff like that. But, um, you know, I, I, I'm really keen to, to try to learn a little bit of the, uh, you know, if there's any kind of written history about that in, in our in our area, I'd love to know more about it. I have a little suspicion that, it, you know, it was kind of a clandestine kind of thing where it was kept in the basement and, you know, there was no, nobody writing about it. So it might be hard to find actual written history. Yeah, nobody was really competing <laughs> yeah. about – it was almost as if, you know, it was just every day and people just did their thing. But nobody really competed and said, I, I think my cider is better than yours. Well, yeah, and this is a really – great observation that I heard uh, Autumn at Eve's Cidery mention one time. 
And the whole idea that, you know, the cider industry, using quotes here, air quotes, is having a revival in the United States is a little bit misleading because, for the most part, it wasn't an industry back when it was popular. You know, at the height of cider drinking United States, which, you know, would probably be, what, like mid-19th century kind of uh, pre-Civil War type of era, it wasn't as if you could go to your general store and buy a unit of packaged hard cider. You were really just making it yourself or trading with a neighbor. It was a very rural agrarian pursuit. It wasn't an industry that would have been, you know, anything the way we think of an industry now, where it was, you know, actual commercial venture. So the American cider industry is not in a revival. It's in its infancy. It's really started out of nothing. You know? Well, and you consider and you look at history, Prohibition almost killed the cider industry totally. They eliminated most of the fruit-producing trees that would have been for cider, but they were saved in, in, yeah. in, small, in small measure. So I think you're right. When you look at the infancy, this is really a young industry that's got the foundation of a, a you know an origination history of what you know our, our our forefathers foremothers started in this country. It just kind of kept the barrel down in the basement. Yes. You know, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll share. <laughs> we'll share a cup and come on over and we'll you know watch the sunset. I don't know. Right. It's, yeah. Start yeah. the day out with an apple cider, a hard cider. Yeah. You know, so somebody, uh, somebody, some neighbor might be really good at you know, uh, you know wool or something, you know, and knitting. And so the, the one the one neighbor would make garments, the other one, you know, give you a, a quart jar of cider for your trouble. You know, it's probably 100% bar, We've barter. We've got to get more friendly with our neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Hey, is it start, start visiting farmer's markets. Or I mean, when you sell stuff at farmer's market, you know, bartering at the end of the day is, is the best part of the whole experience. I had no idea. Oh, yeah, 100%. That's one of the coolest things. I mean, there's many cool things about it. So that's why you guys go, because now you're walking home with tomatoes or cookies or who, oh, absolutely. who, who knows it's what. Anything that we don't grow, yeah, it's it's always been that way. And you get to know the, the people behind the products. And, you know, there's years in agriculture where, you know, we don't have a whole lot to report to the IRS for all of our work every year. But you look in our, our fridges. And, and you would think that we're, you know, we're, we eat like kings with, nice. with, with the stuff we're able to trade for. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's a big part of the many reasons I love farmer's markets. Quite honestly, you know, the, the pl- whole plowman cider thing doesn't happen without farmer's markets. No way. Um, it really took going to those Philadelphia markets and, you know, building a network and starting to work with restaurant chefs to the point where, you know, oh, well, you know, we could, we could uh, start a cider company. Well, where are we going to sell it? Well, I talked to all these chefs. They said they go to bat for us, you know, uh, talking to the, the beverage manager. So, you know, it's really that kind of community network that came with the farmer's market that really made this look like a successful venture. Well, talk about one thing a little bit. A name is important. Yes. How did you come up with the name Plowman? Oh, boy, that's a long story. Um, so, really, I had other names that I liked um, that... As we were like kind of making our plans and filling out trademark applications, some other company would come online. I'm like, no, that's going to completely torpedo my idea. It's too similar. I don't even want to try it. Um, and eventually, you know, early on I was thinking about, uh, well, long story made short here, I guess we'll say, is I thought about something that would tie it to the land. I I wanted that to be part of the name. I joked around that I felt like almost everybody who had a cider company was naming their 
their cider company after a road or a, a dead relative. Okay. And so, <laughs> okay. I mean, just looking around and just taking an inventory of, of the whole scene, you know, all over the United States, I was like, you know, that seems like I want to break away from like that convention of just, you know, trying to honor a, 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 an ancestor of the family or just picking a road that's nearby. And so eventually just Plowman just kind of jumped into my head. Uh, we certainly tend to take a lot of inspiration from uh, English cider, uh, specifically the western counties like Herefordshire. Um, those are places where we draw a lot of inspiration from. Um, you know, a, a plowman, and as as it's spelled and, and kind of the way it's talked about in England, would just be a, a farm worker. And so we, you know, we wanted to have something that had like you know a good everyday appeal that tied it to the land. And yeah, it just seemed to work for us on a number of levels. It was a very uh, it's know, always a, it's a hard process sometimes going through the name, oh, right? Yeah, it's yeah, and we we go through similar things with with actually naming the beverages, naming the blends and stuff can be a a bit of a long and winding road too. And, and it, you know, just craft beverage in general, it's so hard to name anything right now because everyone's you know laid claim to different names and yeah, it can be very territorial and very hard to name things. So we're 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 pleased with the results so far. What was the first cider that you produced? that you now put on the market. What was that one? Sure. Our very first bottling, not that I remember it well, it was December 2nd, 2014. Is that right? No, 16. Sorry. Okay. Lose my mind. So That's it was, right. But December 2nd. Um, and that was Stark. Uh, and it's still a product that that we make uh, whenever the apples are providing uh, an aroma that Reminds us of Stark. We're able to make it. Uh, that but first... that's interesting. So it really, you may take one apple, but it may not reach that point where that's it's going to be that brand of cider that you want to make. Yeah, we we really never go in. It's it's and you know this is very contrarian to the way the rest of the beverage industry works. Where you know there there are some specific things like for example, you know we just bottled Rosedale. Rosedale is a product that can only be made from Rosedale crab apples. So there was one year where we didn't get to the crab apples before they were on the ground and they weren't any good and we didn't we couldn't make Rosedale that year. This year all the Rosedale crab apple froze out. So this will be the last bottling of Rosedale crab apple, uh, Rosedale cider rather until you know sometime in 2022 at the soonest. Wow, so if I if I get a <laughs> bottle of this, I now have to wait or will wait another 2 years perhaps just to have this. Yeah, I mean, if, if we get through next spring and there's not a massive freeze, which was what uh, eliminated all the Rosedale crab apples this year, then this time of year, August 2021, we could harvest more crab apples, you know, crush them, ferment them, potentially could have something back in the market in the soonest would be like May or June 2022. So there are specific apples that get used in those specific ways. Our single varietal ciders will be the same thing. We're doing a single varietal, uh, uh, like we did a Wixen this past year. Uh, single varietal Stamen wine sap is something we've become kind of more known for. Uh, so obviously, if it's a single variety of cider, then that's going to be the only variety that goes into that. But when we're doing like larger, uh, you know, batches of, we just we like to collect you know, really good base cider and blend from there. And so there's an, some element of kind of 
almost self-determination in that, if if you want to think about it that way. In other words, like, you know, some of this, like, we, when we press, like, Asopa Spitzenberg, you know, that's a, a cider that has, you know, a real kind of rich uh, acidity to it that's, you know, very specific. Like, you can kind of pick it out when you've had a few ciders with Spitzenberg. And so, you know, if you blend it one way, it could make uh, a product like Churchyard, which is another one of our favorite ciders. If we blend it with some bittersweets and bitter sharps, so if we, you know, blend it with a little bit more, uh, you know, less tannin, more acidic kind of apple, then we could make Stark from it. You know, it's so it's 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 all about doing the most responsible thing uh, with the juice at the right time and the ability. So to- the juice is really going to determine at, at some point what cider you're going to make. Yeah. And, you know, we certainly have our hand at the control at some level in terms of whether we choose to uh, pitch yeast, whether we choose to let the the beverage ferment spontaneously through wild yeast. Uh, you know, those are decisions that we're, we're making, you know, batch by batch, year by year. Uh, based on the kinds of products that we're envisioning, and I should mention that you know this is this is definitely I'm, I'm trying to speak on behalf of Edwin, our cider maker, and I hope I'm doing a good job if he's listening. Um, but you know he'll that's... be listening in a couple weeks. So. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I, I don't mean to. I'm not trying to you know pretend I know exactly what his inspiration is, but certainly the philosophy that him and I both share, which is what makes it really easy for the two of us to work together, is you know. The whole idea is taking whatever is best on this farm, doing the most responsible thing we know how to do with it, and you know featuring uh, those things that come onto the farm as being the primary source of aroma and flavor in the beverages we produce. In other words, like let all of the flavor be created with an apple on a tree, and then our job is to get the best of that apple into a package when it's at its optimal point. Rather than, you know, just taking a bunch of generic apples, bring them into our cellar and, you know, adding stuff to it until it tastes right. We want all that work to be done by the tree <laughs> and, I, I think and that's through an, our farming look, practices. I think that's an important point. I think it's a recognition of, you know, what everything is going to do on the tree, as you said, to determine and the most responsible thing is to what you put into the bottle. I mean, that's significant to think about. Because if you're just a cider producer, you can you can tweak the flavors at some point, right? Yeah. To to say, all right, we got all these apples, we got little apple flavors, and then we'll kind of add some things to it to give it the experience that we want people to have. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and on some level, you you you'd mentioned you'd asked earlier about um, future of the cider industry, and you know. And, and of course, people have been saying this about IPAs for a long time, and it hasn't really come true. You know, the idea that well, there's only so much you can do with it, right? Like you can add, you can add these fruits and that fruits and lactose sugar and and you know, double dry hop with all these different combinations. And there seems to be a limitless well of options for that kind of beer in the marketplace right now. But there's part of me that, in a similar way, when I think about the future of cider, in my head, it's like. Well, you know, how many different things can we throw at cider until it, like, it doesn't matter that we're using apples anymore? You know what I'm saying? Like, like, you know, triple berry, double dry hopped, 
milk, sugar, cider. It's like, you, you know, like there has to be a limit until all those things have been done already. You know what I'm but saying? But maybe there's no limit. And, and as long as the limit's going to come in when the consumer says, eh, we're bored. We don't want this anymore. We want something else. Well, and I think that's what our vision for the future is. You know, on the contrary, if you are, you know, using specific apples and you're using uh, spontaneous fermentation of wild yeast, you know, then not only is there a more broad and wide palette of what that cider can can do, and not only that, but, you know, we're talking about things, in the case of our single varietal wild fermented salmon wine sap. So that's a cider that we're literally just letting ferment spontaneously using apples that we ourselves are growing in one part of our orchard. You know, no one else can make that. Like if if you're because right, you get, <laughs> but this is where it happens. This is the provenance. Yeah. This is the soil. This is the the wind. This is the climate. Nobody can do that that you do because this is where it's produced. Right. And then you have Edwin taking that. And he's mastering what's going to end up in the bottle by treating that with respect and the experience of what it will be. Yes. So you're right. Again, it's again it goes. You know, a, a French varietal. You know, things of, of, of that you're going to grow in France of, of, of wines and, and the grapes and stuff will not be what you would grow in Napa or would not be what you would grow. So again, why 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 can bourbon in Kentucky be Kentucky bourbon? Because think about the soil and the corn and you know the climate and all that. So you've you've sure. got this little Adams County area and what you're doing here on your farm and what you're producing for plowmen. This is what gets produced here and cannot be duplicated, even if they had the same trees, even if they had the same bottling line, even if they had the same crusher. It wouldn't be the same. Exactly, and that that is the exciting thing. Again, in terms of the future, what I think about in Adams County, like you know, that to me is. That is my vision for an exciting way forward. When people can come to Adams County and expect to have a cider with all of this character that is itself a, 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 an expression of the soil under the trees. You know, that's, that's what it's all about. Um, you know, if, if, if we were making cider with flavorings and purees, it's going to, you know, it's going to be the same product, whether I order it to my cidery in Florida, if I order it to my cidery in Arizona or Pennsylvania, it's the same off-the-shelf puree or flavorings. When we're talking about honoring, you know, our agricultural community and the soils that we've been, you know, stewarding and tending for 200 years, you know, that's really doing justice to all the hard work that, you know, my farming ancestors have put into this farm is, you know, Featuring the fruits that we grow in these soils rather than, you know, something that's going to come off of a truck from somewhere else. You brought out a number of bottles and cans. Yeah. That you want to feature today. Let's introduce some cider to our listening audience. And let's talk about, again, what these are, the varietals, how you're putting these together. Where do you sure. want to start here? Let's start with Dornick. And uh, let's let's get a good uh, can snap so on this microphone here. Then. Dornick. Nice. That was a good one. <laughs> yeah, Tornik. So this is uh, actually the naming convention on this is something that always brings some fond memories here. Um, I was kind of taught about the word Dornick from uh, an outstanding uh, farmer that uh, finished his career in agriculture working for our farm part-time, a man named Dean McCausland, 
who probably worked in orchards, I mean, from the time he was in his teens until uh, retired with us in his, his mid-80s, so probably 70 years working in tree fruit agriculture. I learned a lot from Dean. And we were clearing a field to plant blueberries one time, and he would pick up a rock and throw it into the, the dump truck, and he would always say, Dornick. I said, Dean, what are you talking about, Dornick? <laughs> He's like, it's the Irish word for stone. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, okay, I gotta remember that. I, you know, this is like years before we had a cider company. But uh, so we 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 found that you know certain ciders we made would get this kind of uh, earthy, kind of stony quality to it. And I just remind, I was reminded of what Dean taught me about Dornick, and I looked it up, and he was right. It's the uh, the Irish Celtic uh, Irish Gaelic word for for stone or pebbly quality. And so that's the naming convention here. So this is, uh, we just reformulated Dornick to be kind of like an everyday, uh, you know, uh, dry finishing uh, cider that, you know, this particular blend is um, equal parts Johnny Gold and Gold Rush. And so, uh, you know, something that has a lot of fruity character, but a nice dry finish to it. And you get that little bit of earthiness there at the end. That's delicious. Yeah. I mean, this is nice because I really, you know, Dawn and I have always talked. We, we, we enjoy your cider. We love your cider. Um, and, and now getting this one-to-one process of taking this through this, this is, this is fabulous. But you're right. I, the one thing that does sit on the palate, you, you do get, look, initially you get a little bit of the sweetness from the apple, but it's a very dry finish. Yeah. And I can, I can, I, I can get the mineralistic quality that you talk about mm-hmm. with with the earthiness uh, of the finish to that. Yeah. It just kind of sits there. Almost like a green mineral finish to it. And I, I think a lot of it comes out perhaps of, of, of also, you don't just taste apple, but you taste skin, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. It, it, that, that's the experience that I get. That your cider, you, you, you take, if I'm going to eat an apple, I'm going to go through the skin and the flesh and the, the pulpiness and, and, and the, the, the fiber of the apple, that, that's really how the cider stands out. Yeah, it's it's definitely, you know, the goal here is to, again, just capture all of the best qualities of those two apples. And those those are apples that we've used a lot in our cider making. You know, John Gold tends to have a nice uh, fruity aroma, sometimes some more floral characteristics. Uh, so a good nose on, on the John Gold and then the, the Gold Rush. Uh, it's, a, it's an apple that we continuously are impressed by uh, the more we grow it the more we the more we work with it just has this really remarkable acidity it can also be very high in sugars really really versatile apple to work with in a lot of our blending and a great apple for our farmers markets it stores well uh, naturally disease resistant there's a lot to like about gold rush and uh, you know really has a really important role to play in the making of a cider like Dornick. This is this is really fine. This is and, I'm, and as I'm tasting this again, I look at the parallel. What what would I pair this with for food? Yeah, and, and and how would I enjoy this? Just I could open up a can, I could sip the can, but now what kind of food can I pair with this? So that's that's yeah. kind of what's processing through my head. Sure. So some of my favorite uh, pairings for this would be, I mean, there's any number of uh, amazing Pennsylvania farmstead cheeses that would be a, a, just a a beauty pairing with a cider like this. You know, I would think of uh, something, you know, that, that might be like a little bit more cheddary or a little bit more kind of Gouda type of nuttiness would be really nice with this. But it also, I think it's got enough acidity that if you were doing like more of a fresh cheese, 
uh, you know, fromage blanc or something of that nature. I think that would be a really nice pairing with this as well. And uh, really, really, and, you know, we have, you know, we're not too far from the Chesapeake Bay here in Adams County, just a short drive down. I think there's a, a wide range of seafood, especially, you know, local sustainably caught seafood, something like a, well, rockfish are getting harder to find, but, you know, something like a, uh, you know, a bay scallop or something like that would uh, be a really nice pairing with this. Yeah, well. I think for those that haven't had a chance to try this, that I almost get this um, unaged Chardonnay or a steel-aged Chardonnay kind of a, an idea in my head that that would be, if you're going to pair anything like a, that with as a Chardonnay, mm-hmm. you can you can have a lot of different foods and things you could do with that that you would do. Yeah, I would say that that would be a very good analog. If, if you're if if you're not able to find this cider, um, no, find know. the cider. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. We do ship now. We we that's something that we started uh, like right at the beginning of uh, the whole COVID outbreak. We we are now shipping to forty states. If you have an interest in trying these for yourself, and do you use a service to ship, or do they direct ship from your website? Uh, they, it's uh, direct shipping from our website. We do uh, partner with Vino Shipper as a third party, uh, but it, it's all on our website. So, so you can get there after easily. you hear the podcast. <laughs> Make a list of what we tried, and then look at the other things that might you know be interesting to you, and, and order those as well. Sure, yeah, yeah. We keep a robust uh, selection on there at all times, and and you know if you have any questions, go ahead and just give us a shout. I'd be happy to answer. Uh, you, any you're questions. you're always on top of the social media. I know that. <sighs> I try to be. I try to be. It's a lot because you know I'm, I'm doing the same thing for our farm and. Uh, for our, our tap room has its own separate social media feed, so it can be a lot of juggling, but we, we try to keep on top of it. What do you look at next to uh, talk about? Sure. So let's get uh, Rosedale, which we just bottled. Right. Yesterday. You said this was this is like brand new. Yes. So this is this is our third um, bottling of Rosedale, and this to me is the best of the three so far. This is a cider that again is really dependent on. That Rosedale crab apple. Just look at the color change on this. I really like pouring these two ciders back to back for another reason because, you know, it really is a great example of how, you know, you can really change so much just with the apples. So this specific uh, version of Rosedale uses 90% gold rush apples, which we just spoke about, which is, you know, a big part of the Dornick blend. But just 10% Rosedale crab apple is going to make that much more amber-looking color and just provide all this richness and complexity and aroma. Get a little I, bit. Of, I get, like, blueberry or, or strawberry, like a berry on the nose. Yeah, absolutely. Which is really enjoyable. And there's some spice in there at the yeah, end, I think. cinnamon, maybe like an allspice. That's nice. Some florality and, and you know, it's... It's nice to have that that kind of uh, mouthfeel with the bitterness as well from the crab apples. Thank you for describing that. Yeah. And 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 again, this is this is your vision. This is Edwin's vision of what it should taste like after it comes off the tree. Now you mentioned about the yeast, mm-hmm. and you mentioned about fermentation. So you could pitch yeast, meaning add yeast, mm-hmm. or you do a wild. Ferment. So you're pulling yeast out of the uh, from off of the the skins or what would have been on the tree, right. and I guess whatever is still in the air in your facility. Exactly. So yeah, most of the yeast that's going to uh, you know spontaneously ferment our ciders is going to be cider uh, yeast that was clinging to the the stem end of the apple and that little indentation at the stem, or in the calyx, which is the indentation on the bottom side of an apple. 
you know, all of our ciders get rinsed as they go into the crusher. Um, but even through that rinsing stage, you're going to have some yeast that cling to those areas. And so, you know, they're alive and present when it gets pressed into juice. And, um, you know, if you provide the, the environment that they like, you know, they can definitely uh, ferment your, your cider to completion. And because those yeasts tend to be a little bit more timid and not as fast to work as your commercial strains of yeast will be, you know, that's going to just over time in a more gentle kind of way, coax a lot more rich aroma. You get some, again, and that's the fun thing is, you know, each, each year this could be significantly different because we're relying on a different, you know, the whole community of yeast out in our orchards, which is changing all the time. Um, so we really kind of embrace that, that little bit of, of, uh, you know, what some would consider irregularity to us is like, a more beautiful nuance because it's going to change from year to year based on any number of environmental factors. And we love the fact that, that, you know, with each, you know, new bottling of Rosedale that, you know, we're able to change a little bit from, from year to year based on what the apples are giving us and what the, right. the, are the percentage build is still there, uh-huh. but the characteristic as you talk about might change from year to year. Yes. And you never know. Yeah. 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 But it, it's, it's a really, it you know that that kind of thing is, it's common with with so many, you know, kind of more historic and traditional food types. Whether you're talking about, you know, traditionally leavened breads, or or you know, you, you can certainly look at the wine and spirits world, or any any kind of historic food making process. You know, it's there's a process. And then there's variation based on seasonality and ingredients, and um, yeah, we're 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 all about embracing that. We're not trying to recreate beverages each year. We're just trying to have something that's a good representation of a specific style of cider, and let those nuances be the thing that that makes people excited to try this year's Rosedale. It being slightly different from the one they enjoyed last year, for example. I, I feel that. You know, you take it through the, the process of that first sip and then you, you know, you're, you get your taste buds acclimated to that. Hmm. But what I've really enjoyed is just sitting here after I've, I've, I've finished the glass and just enjoying the aftertaste of, of what that produces. That's, that's just really incredible. Yeah, and this one has a super long finish. And again, a lot of uh, that mouthfeel, a lot of that long finish, a lot of the, the, the market uh, improvement, if you well, improvement, a, a richer color. That's all going to be tied to the tannins in the crab apples, which is the same tannins you would get in a bittersweet or bitter sharp cider apple, which takes you the whole way back to that Steve Wood conversation. You know, um, these bittersweet, bitter sharp apples, or in this case, crab apples. You know, they provide so much uh, to a cider, and and there's really nothing else you can do with them. You actually can make some really nice jelly with crab apples. So that's one exception. But for the most part, I'm gonna start collecting crab apples for you. And start bringing you crab apples. Yeah, you know, we've actually we've started um, having volunteer days where we invite you know cider fans and and farm fans from all over to come out here and help us pick crab apples. Because so just as a background from a more agricultural perspective, you know, a lot of these bittersweet and bitter sharp cider apples have not been grown in the United States. Some at all. Some, you know, not for a hundred years or more. Um, but crab apples have been a part of tree fruit, uh, production for a long time because that helps pollinate the rest of the block. 
So most apple varieties need the pollen of a second variety of apple to pollinate. That is so fascinating. Yeah. So like, you know, if you have a whole block of gala apples and there's no other apples for a wide range, for example, you're not going to get a lot of fruit there. Whereas if you interplant crab apples to attract the bees and to use the pollen of the crab apples to pollinate the, the blossoms of the gala apples, then you have a much larger yield and you get more pollination and more fruit. So these crab apples have been growing in people's orchards for, you know, 60, 70 years. Not the same trees, but it's been part of the practice of growing uh, apples and commercially for a long time. And typically those crab apples, like again, you know, maybe my grandparents' generation might have picked a few to make some jam or some jelly because they, they actually make a really nice jelly. But... um but for the most part, you know, in modern agriculture, those apples are just neglected. They just fall on the ground. We don't even bother to prune the trees. You know, they're just, they're an afterthought. And, but so many of those crab apples have tannins and, and provide that bitter, sharp and bitter, sweet characteristic that we love in our cider making. So now something that has been completely neglected is one of the most treasured commodities on this farm. And it, it's, they're really time intensive to pick in some cases shake off the trees, which is a little bit easier. Um, but yeah, it's it's become a, a really important thing for us. So we're we're really trying to to get more of our crab apples harvested this year because any given year there's way more crab apples on this farm than we could ever pick. One of the wonderful things I'm hearing you say, Ben, is that you're not just drinking cider. You're drinking there, there's there's so much more that goes into your bottle. And if you take the time to understand what you're drinking, you appreciate that more. Yeah. Like now I'm going to look at that bottle of Rosedale, and I don't know. My visual is going to be somebody standing there shaking a tree to, yeah. to bring the crab apples down. But understanding that these crab apples are more of a secondary afterthought kind of a thing that, ah, you know, kind of pass those by. And if we, you know, somebody yelling out and saying, listen, can you get me about a dozen of those? I'm going to make a jelly for it. But now I have such a different attachment, such a different appreciation for what is so important that goes into that bottle I have more of a connection with it. And I think that's that's really it's this is where craft comes in. Yeah. This sure. is where you're taking the time to really structure and create something so special, so individual, so important, that the connection is is really emphasized and, and, and heightened. I just like that. That's really cool. Yeah, and you know, one of the things that I've felt as somebody who grew up around apples, I mean, you know, we you ever find yourself going, oh, not an apple? Do I really oh, have to no. eat an apple today? <laughs> oh, no, no, no. No, no, no. I've, I've had people ask me that at market all the time. It's like, you don't actually like apples, do you? This is all again. No, no. You don't understand. I'm, I'm as big an apple nerd as you'll find. Okay. I mean, I, I spent a lot of time researching, uh, you know, histories of old varieties. Actually, if you look right there, uh, right on the table here is one of my prized possessions. This is the Illustrated History of Apples in the United States of Canada, which is a seven-volume series detailing every uh, variety of apple that we have on this continent that has some kind of written uh, you know, history to it. So I'm all the time trying to make sure I know the history and origins of all these apple varieties. I have a test block of apple of new varieties. It's 70 new varieties that we've never grown in our farm You know that I'm, I'm trying to learn you know, what their, what their capabilities are and what the potential is for us to grow them in our orchards. And it, it, it's just a constant learning process for me in apples. This is why, like, I, I paid you that tribute. And I really <laughs> believe there are, the people like you are important in the industry. What you're doing here at Plowman is going to elevate the quality. And 
you almost become like that estate apple grower to where you're creating these impeccable ciders that are sought after because of their character, because of the rich history, because of the uniqueness of a variety that maybe nobody has grown in, 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 in dozens of, of years. Yeah. So, so that's important. I, I really do think that's important to the, the, the growth of the industry, but, but the history and the recognition of, of, of what's happening with, with what's going on with cider now. Yeah, and it's it's definitely a, a passion and a labor of love for me. I, I I'm reminded when you said that of um, something I heard. You know, you know, in terms of leadership, this is somebody who I really look up to. in apples, John Bunker was just uh, he he owns a, an orchard in Maine. is one of the, our country's greatest apple historians. Was just on a webinar that I uh, was watching this past week, and you know. When you're researching these old varieties, people haven't grown in that long. He brought up a really good point. He said, you know, the people who grew these varieties were really smart farmers. And they were, you know, they really thought about things um, and were very specific in their variety choices. You know, back then there was a lot more varieties to choose from. And so they were growing apples that, you know, when you when you pull one off the tree and you bite it, you're like, why would, why would somebody save this variety? What, you know, it's like kind of... It's kind of like starchy and not juicy. And well, why did somebody save this? I mean, it's a grafted tree. You could tell some, it wasn't something that grew from a seed. It's wild. It wasn't, you know, this somebody intentionally saved this variety. And then he taught himself, well, you know, maybe I should cook it in applesauce or apple butter. And he would take it home and he would cook it and it just would make the most beautiful puree. You're just like, that's why. That's why. Yeah. And, you know, so in the United States, we used to have this very rich, robust apple culture that was very regional and very specified. So if you were in uh, Northeast Ohio, there was an apple that you grew to make pie with. There was an apple you grew to make cider with. There was an apple you grew to, to dry into what the Dutch would call apple schnitz or dried apples. You know, everything was regional based on what varieties grew well in that region and specific based on what that apple would do the best. And, you know, we're in a state in the United States right now where we're losing a lot of that information. And so as somebody who has on my father's side a lot of agricultural kind of history, family history on my mom's side, uh, mostly a family of educators. So to me... So you blend in, you take it and you blend in and, and you be that leader, that resource now that takes the mantle forward. Yeah, I yeah, I really, you know, no one else is going to do this work for the next generation. Um, you know, I really do feel a, a challenge that I'm excited about to to, you know, revive some of these varieties and see what they're capable of and see how they grow here in our area and, you know, and bring back again these more traditional styles of food that that are made from specific varieties with specific purposes and, you know, and there's a lot of folks out there doing the kinds of things that I'm trying to do. And it's, it's, I could see this like almost apple renaissance coming back where like, you know, we start growing apples specifically for making amazing apple butter because there's no other variety that can do this specific thing. And I really, I think that's really beautiful. I think that's, you know, it's, it's, I obviously love apples and I want to see them, you know, used for all the different, they're so variable, they're resilient, they're variable, you know, they're, they can be used in a wide variety of ways. And that's one of the things I love about apples. And it's been, been underappreciated for a hundred years. 
And you're taking that forward. So what's our what's our next? Uh, sure. Our yeah. Next one? Yeah. So we're gonna because um, we really get deep on each one. So that's oh, really cool. 100%, 100%. So. <laughs> You know, when you're talking about apples, apples and pears are the two most common members of the poem fruit family. Okay. Oh, we're going to foam over a little bit here. So, um, poem fruits are, you know, obviously apples make cider, pears make perry, and then the third most... So, perry. What is perry? So, perry is going to be um, a beverage made... Um, with pears, um, sometimes. Now, is it is it is it a, like a pear cider? Is it distilled? Is it fermented? What, it, what would it, it is, be? Yeah, it's it's made the very same way as well in a similar way. I don't want to oversimplify. It's made a very similar way to um, cider and wine, only using pears. Um, and perry specifically, um, you know, uses bittersweet and bitter sharp pears, the same as you have bittersweet bitter sharp apples. Um, this product is uh not a perry but the third the the third most common member of that poem fruit family is a fruit called quince and so quince is typically i mean it's it's most famous use perhaps is uh, being cooked down into a, a, a paste in spain called membrillo that'd be typically served with you know other spanish small plates like you know a, a manchego cheese or Himoni berico or things of that nature. So that's that's mostly what quince is used for, but it's become more increasingly more popular as uh, something to make cider with. And if you look up on the hill, just past where I can see is like our two rows of quince trees, and this is the first kind of uh, you know broad release that we've had. Using so who's quince. making cider with quince? I mean, I mean, are you the first? No, 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 no. no? There, there's a, a, I'm trying to think of specific examples. I know that I've had some cider with quince from the West Coast and the Pacific Northwest. Um, I'm trying to think of a specific example. Well, I can tell you this is the first time yeah. having, you know, Dawn and I are having cider with quince. <laughs> well, so. and that's that's why I wanted to pour it. And, <laughs> and, you know, and the other thing about quince is, you know, it's not something that you would ever be able to buy in enough quantity on the secondary market. In other words, it's a product that you're, likely only to find in a, a real farmstead operation that's growing the quince themselves. Quince were definitely more popular, again, in like jams and jelly making back in my like grandparents' generation. But, yeah. I, 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 for some reason, I get like applesauce on the nose, but I also get the it's cinnamon. Ex- yeah. Right? Exactly. So one of the cool things that I like about, this is a cider called Brother, which is our quince cider. Uh, you know, quince kind of being like a brother of an apple or a pear, which is kind of how we got to that name. Um, but yeah, this cider has the ability to have that kind of cooked apple, applesauce type of note, but still has enough like bright acidity that it has that kind of, you know, slow cooked type of uh, caramelized note appeal, but it also has that fresh acidity. It can kind of is the acidity so I'm, I'm getting lemon like i get a little mm-hmm. lemon in the in the in the, the the flavor of it and then it goes right to this dry almost like an oaky dryness that you would have from a barrel aged yeah. spirit so yeah that's you know quince are not a fruit that you can really pull off of a tree and eat fresh they are very astringent um you know i had a my pomology professor back in penn state pulled a joke on me one time and tricked me into biting into a raw quince and it was a very very memorable experience <laughs> it was like sucking all the moisture out of your mouth 
in a moment's time. Okay. And um, so, you know, they have a lot of acidity and they have a lot of those more astringent type uh, qualities. And, you know, so there's a portion of this cider that is the, the juice of the quince, which they're very dry as well. They don't really yield a whole lot of juice. But the majority of this beverage was made by taking that dried, uh, what we call pumice, or the leftover solids after we juice all the, the liquid out of them. And we pitched those quince pumice solids back into a tank of Johnna Gold and let the cider kind of work on those solids and, 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 and pull some of the, the, those uh, very quince-forward uh, bright acidic tones out of it. And... Um, yeah, so this is a, a pretty unique cider in terms of uh, not not often will you run into one that, that uses quince in that way, um, but we're really keen to, to make some more of it because I think it, it it really offers something that's very unique and and you know. Quince... Have you thought of so I know hop cider is something that's becoming more prominent. Yeah, but that to me, um, the the floral notes that you would get from hopping it. That to me would just work so well. Yeah, yeah, that's something. I mean, uh, it stands on its own, and it's yeah. really unique, as you pointed out. But mm-hmm. then I'm thinking, wow, I wonder what that next level would be if you just kind of hop this a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I could see that being a complementary flavor from what the quince and apples are providing, and that's you know that's the whole thing is is the ability for uh, someone to create something that honors the fruit, but also finds uh, different aromas that are complementary and the whole the whole package is amplified by this greater than the sum of its parts kind of thing. And I, I could see that working with a little bit of a, a dry hop situation on that. Sure. Where you are now, you've got a couple of things going. I know you've had your challenges with the COVID. Um, I, we, I think you talked about doing a membership release. You're doing something for your sure. members now. What are you doing with that? Yeah. So, you know, Right off the bat, when when things started closing and we weren't getting any uh, wholesale buying accounts, uh, we really were so very, it was beautiful. We were very encouraged by the support we got when we started launching shipping. There were, there were you know, personal friends that I had not heard from in years that, that just thought this was the right time to support us and, and cider drinkers from all over the United States that maybe had heard about uh, what we're doing here at Plymouth but hadn't had any yet. And so, you know, we, we tried to think of a way to, like, how can we, you know, kind of take that goodwill and then provide a service for the people that have kind of, you know, tied their wagon to us or, or, or eager to – Your fl- fans. Yeah, eager to f- fly our flag, we'll right. say. <laughs> and, so we, and, and so we decided to launch a, a cider club. Um, it's called Plowshares. You can find out more about it on the website. Um, but the main thing is, and you know, we'll link a lot of this in the show notes too, sure. so people can find plowshares in the show notes and the ability to sign up. So even if they're in one of those forty states that you ship to, they can be a member. Yeah, they can be a member which of is our great cider because club. sometimes you may be doing Litterman. So what can members expect from this? Right. So right off the bat, you know, it, it's it's signing up uh, to get quarterly uh, shares from us. Um, so every couple of months and we'll probably space it out. So we're not shipping cider in the hottest part of the year, just based on quality concerns. But, you know, we'll make, uh, four drops between, let's say September and the following June. 
Um, you can sign up to receive either six uh, units or 12 units, a unit being either a bottle or a four pack of cans um, through the service. And then we're offering, you know, a discount on all the bottles. If you're committed to receiving product from us on a regular basis, you know, we want to honor that investment by investing in our fans. And so, you know, we're offering discounts, either 10% for, for a six bottle share, 20% for a 12 bottle share. Um, we're including, uh, you know, I, I have plans to, to include, we have some patches and, and pins that we'll send out to, to club members. I have hopes of doing interactive, you know, like zoom tastings and things like that. So people can really kind of get to know the people behind the products and the farm that makes them and our philosophies behind it. Um, sending out like individualized uh, 33 mugs books that have, you know, you can record your own notes and what you liked and what you didn't like about the things that you're trying um, and really kind of making it interactive. So, you know, people are not only, you know, we're, we're so honored to have, you know, an investment from those, those shares members, but we want to, you know, take that investment, and invest in them and, and really give them a, a, a unique experience that, that brings them closer to the products that they enjoy. already. Yeah. I, I look, I mean, I, to pay tribute to you and what you're doing here, Ben, and um, to, to your whole family, I would also say that this is almost as if, you know, one of those Napa Valley wine producers let you try their limited release or their small batch stuff and would send it to you. Yeah. This is this is on that equal level. I really do. I, I, I don't mean to overemphasize or hype you, but I really think that – Again, your knowledge, your experience, and really the, the the time that you're taking to put what you're putting in the bottle. This is this is what resonated from from Dawn and I. And there are a lot of great cider producers out there. We love you know we love cider. We're fans of cider. But there's there's also a tribute to what you're doing here and 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 the specialness of of what you're producing. Yeah, and you know that's that's definitely something that it, it gives us more freedom on the seller side too. That you know if if for example we have some some varieties like Newtown Pippin, a classic American variety with a great history. We planted that at the same time as the rest of our cider block. Only this year, after all these years, is the first time we've gotten any fruit off of it. So that's a situation where we might, you know, do a small, you know, five to seven gallon batch of single varietal Newtown Pippin so we can learn more about how to blend it and what to do with it. If you're a member of the Cider Club, instead of like you know, taking that and eventually, you know, blending it in a very dilute part of another batch, you know, we can make a bottle club, uh, a, a plowshares exclusive bottling of a single varietal that we've, you know, we're just learning to work with. Bell de Boscube, we have a beautiful crop of, of Bell de Boscube, but it's not going to be enough to, you know, to make a large release of it. So, you know, now when we, we take all these really interesting nuanced varieties and we only have a small amount of them, stuff from our test block, you know, we can make some really cool stuff that's only going to be available to Plowshares members. And, you know, it allows us to, to continue to experiment and, you know, actually, you know, have be able to get that product out to people and instead of like, you know, sometimes it'll be something we might just share around ourselves. Well, now we can share it with people. It's a really exciting thing. It gives us a lot more uh, flexibility in the kinds of things we can do. And we don't have to think about, oh, we need this much to make a batch. When we have our, our, our Plowshare Cider Club, any amount of liquid 
as and, a batch. And you can get feedback, too. Yes, and, absolutely. And that'll kind of help give you direction. So, the, so the, the Plowshares members now have the hand in setting sales in terms of, you know, what you can do with that in the future, too. Absolutely. If it's, if it's a product that our most loyal and devoted customers don't have an interest in, then we don't have a reason to make it. You know, we're, we're in it for them. We couldn't possibly drink all this stuff ourselves. <laughs> you could try, though. <laughs> yeah, when things are bad, we, we often try. <laughs> We've had some rough years in agriculture here the last couple of years. but uh, This has been a good one, though, hasn't it? Uh, well, in some ways, yes. In some ways, no. It's, uh, uh, you know, uh, a friend of mine famously said when they were asked about the, the pandemic, I'm like, well, yeah, the pandemic is hard to deal with, but 2018, when it rained 80 inches, there's nothing you can do to turn off the skies. That's a problem that's a lot harder to deal with, agriculturally speaking, than a pandemic. Right. You put that in perspective, it really kind of <laughs> gives you a vision. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, 2019 has been, uh, you know, not as bad as 2018. Um, I'm sorry, 2020, I should say. 2019 was a, a decent year. 2020, uh, we lost about 60% of our stone fruit. Um, so things like apricots were pretty much a zero a lot of plum varieties, pretty much a zero, and most of our peaches are down at least half a crop. So um, uh, peach season has been really tough. Uh, we're getting to the very last stages of it now. Our apple crop across the board is down a little bit to frost issues, maybe a 10 or 15%. Um, luckily, the cider fruit, uh, which blossoms a lot later, is actually a, a, a full crop bigger than any crop we've had. But um, in terms of the whole health of the farm, like we've we've had some things we've had to deal with this year. Every year is going to be different, oh, and yeah. you just don't know what to expect. But you do the best you can. And here, this goes to the point where we talk about: Hey, now you've got the cider crop that's producing volumes, right? And really helps benefit overall what you're looking to produce here. Absolutely, and that's something like more specifically to the farm that I've really tried to focus on is, you know, diversifying the ways that we sell the things that we work so hard to grow. So that if there is this kind of uh, weather fluctuations, uh, market volatility, any of the things that are beyond our control, you know, we're diversified enough in the things that we grow that there are opportunities uh, to be, you know, rendered from any less than optimal uh, situation that might arise. You never know, and you always have some sort of contingency plan, something set in place to where one thing that's doing well can take care, take over and take care of something that's something not doing well, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Even even if it's like really a silver lining situation, like 2018 with all that rain, uh, so many of the things that we grow were just ruined by excessive rain. We had a beautiful onion crop that year. <laughs> you know, sometimes it's only something that just kind of makes you feel good when, when everything else is, is feeling really lousy. Um, but that, that crop diversification, not only is it a, a strategic sustainability goal for us, uh, because you're breaking up your, your fields in terms of what it is that you're growing and you're not, uh, creating opportunities for, you know, monocrop like plagues of, of different diseases and pests to, to, to wreak havoc on, on what it is you're trying to do. Um, but it's also just a, a good strategy in terms of, you know, being flexible at any given time. And, and, and quite honestly, a, a, a world where, you know, when you're growing a, a crop of apples for 30 years, I'll give you an example. People ask all the time, well, how long do you keep a block of apples in? More often than not, you're taking the apples out, not because the trees are productive. It's because, the, you know, you planted that block 20 years ago and the kinds of apples that people ate 20 years ago have completely changed. So, you know, like you, you invest in a, a block of tree fruit thinking that, you know, 
this is going to just be what it grows for 30 years. Whereas, you know, if, if you had if a people's whole, taste change, if yeah. the industry changes, that apple becomes obsolete now. Yeah. And it's really hard to, you know, change quickly and pivot quickly in tree fruit. If it was, you know, a vegetable crop and all of a sudden people stopped eating okra, well, I just won't plant any okra. Right. You know, <laughs> so it, it's, it's, it's an interesting dynamic doing things on this kind of perennial crop tree fruit kind of level, but it, it, it makes you be really strategic with the things you do. There is a can with a bluebird on it. Yeah, put a bird on it, right? Put a bird on it. <laughs> sure, let's try some of this. That one keeps staring at me. So Yes. So this is this you is got our, that you had that perfect pop of the can again. Yeah, well we love that. We gotta you know this is a this is an, an audio medium here. We gotta, you know, get as much enriching audio onto the podcast as we can, of course. So uh, this is our uh, best seller. This is Birdwatcher. Uh, which uh, is able to feature another one of the things that we do really well here in the farm, which is peaches in years that, you know, they don't froze, freeze out in their blossom stage, which is sadly the case in 2020. Um, but we grow 50 acres of peaches here as well. And this is a, a product that's been a, a really popular, it's our best selling uh, cider um, just because, you know, we're, we're able to provide something that still has a lot of fruity aroma, but has the dry finish that we become known for. And so it has a really, a lot of broad appeal for that reason, I think. And certainly, you know, peaches are a, a very popular, very popular uh, flavor. And, uh, you know, this again, but this is not necessarily a flavoring. This is, you know, fruit that we're growing ourselves. Uh, right. So you're right not here. adding, uh, you're not adding a flavoring additive. You're not adding a puree. Right. We're taking this our own. Just- Fresh peaches. Yeah, we're taking uh, usually freestone peaches kind of that are, you know, starting to get a little bit overripe. And we're crushing them and doing a wild fermentation on them. And then back blending that with some cider um, so that you're able to get the apples and the peaches in equal proportion. Uh, Again, you get that dry finish, which allows it to pair so nicely with a wide range of foods. Um, Lovely to enjoy on its own because it does have that, that, you know, juicy fruity kind of aroma from the peaches that that express that that kind of fruity quality that that people are looking for in a cider but still having that that dry finish it's a really really been a great product for us across the board yeah you talk about the peach i mean again that finish you do get a a, a, an essence of peach that just kind of sits in the back of your mouth yeah and it just lingers there this is this is just delicious this is delightful yeah, yeah, this is, it's been a real standby since I guess we released this, uh, I believe it was into our second year, I think this was uh, something that we released, I believe, in 2018, and yeah, it's 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 been, you know, popular, especially, I mean, it was popular when we were putting it in bottles, but it certainly as a 12-ounce can, it's something you can pack with you on a picnic, or take to the beach, or taking like, hiking with you, or anything of that nature, it's... Uh, it's really, it's it's flexible. It's yeah. as you said. I mean, I, I could see all those things with it, and and uh, really not to overemphasize it, but there's a lot of really nice food pairing abilities for your cider. Yeah, you're not getting this over sweetness to where you stop and say, "Well, what can I do with this?" It's dry. It's flavorful. It's nuanced. It's crisp. It's clean. It's earthiness. You got your bitterness to it. There's you know, if you're thinking about, hey, I'm going to serve something different. I'm going to have dinner tonight. And I want to serve something different. I just want to sit out and bring some cheese and just – I don't want the same old, same old. Yeah. This could become your same old, same old because <laughs> of how well it how well it pairs and, and, and how nice it is. Yeah. it's It's got a, a wide range of, of uh, foods that pair well with it. 
it's got a lot of versatility that way. You know, it's it's I I always love to think about pairings in two ways. You can get pairings that you know complement each other, and there's overlap, and it creates this really nice unity that that is a beautiful pairing. And then sometimes it's like you know your fingers can mesh one way, and they, they can mesh the opposite way. If you turn your one hand upside down, where some of the some of the opposite notes will cancel each other out, and um, you're left with uh, those two elements will cancel each other out, and you, you get a, a richness and an attention to a third element that you hadn't maybe noticed before. And this is a cider that, you know, particularly with, with, uh, you know, uh, let, let's say a, a cheese that's a little bit more aromatic. Um, sometimes the wild fermentation notes of the peaches can cancel out that, like, like if you have a, like, like, uh, like a triple cream brie kind of thing. It really, it, it, it can, Kind now you mean I want to I want to go yeah. home, I want to stop at a cheese shop and I just <laughs> want to sit down and start like doing cheese pairings with this or just just really enjoying different kinds of foods. It, it really presents itself there. Look, I know this is your most you know you said this is your most popular, but I can see why people are now becoming you know fans of plowshare. Why we become a plowman yeah. and and why people would want to become part of your plowshare group because of the ingenuity and the creativity that's coming out of what you're doing. And and being special, being a little different, I, sure. I think I think that that's what that that's what you really resonates on what you're doing here. Yeah, and you know all the time it really you know plowman exists as uh, a way to complement what we do here on the farm and to provide you know new opportunities for the farm. And so you know if we're making a peach cider, it's not because you know some industry focus group said that peach is a new hot. Thing to but add man, to this your cider. But this isn't. If you look, I'm sure if you're listening, ninety percent of people are going to think peach, peach. You know, you're, you're going to think of like peach, peachy puree. You know, right. but this isn't. No. This is this is a cider where you're almost kind of walking around your your orchard, and you can smell the peaches ripening, and yeah. that's all you get. Right. Yeah. This is you know our 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 peach cider is made because we have an excess of peaches. And it benefits the farm for us to, to ferment them in a way that complements the peach. And you get the peaches and the apples. You know, if we're making something like uh, we have a, a product we're in development right now that's going to use our sour cherries. We grow a lot of sour cherries here in Adams County as well. Um, you know, the inspiration was we have all these beautiful sour cherries. If we can create a beverage with them, you know, then you're going to capture them at their peak. You know, fermentation in a historical way is really a way to you know, add longevity, right? Whether it's making wine or cider, whether it's making things like sauerkraut, you know, or canning things, fermentation. Or, or kombucha. Now that we're right. kombucha fans, exactly. that's a high point. Ah, oh, good folks. Yeah, yeah. No doubt. But, but you know, you're right, right? I yeah. mean, that's the essence of it. That's perfect. I love that. So fermentation really is a, is an ancient, like, preservation. Yeah. And so when we have a whole bunch of peaches and they're, you know, they're, they're overripe. How do we capture that before they go to the, you know, decay part of their ripening curve, right? So we have an abundance of peaches. We can make a, a, a cider that allows people to experience the peaches at their best optimal quality year round because we're fermenting them and we're putting them in these shelf stable cans. Same thing with our apples, same thing with our cherries, with this new product we're hoping to develop. Um, you know, that's really the whole thing is taking the awesome things we're able to grow, capturing them at their optimal peak 
and then preserving them through fermentation into a beverage or a, a product. We're talking about cider, which is a beverage, but this goes beyond our, you know, into other parts of our farm and the things that we make. Capturing it at its peak and, and being able to present that and representing the best of what we grow to a broad regional audience year-round. That's our goal. So here's the thing. People can find your tap room in downtown Gettysburg. What's the location? It is right on the square. The address is 14 Lincoln Square. Um, so it's it's right in the quadrant. Uh, that would be a stone's throw where Lincoln delivered his Gettysburg address. You're not that far away. Yeah. And even closer to the Will's house where he stayed the night before and actually penned the address. address. So, uh, we're in the Southwest quadrant of, uh, Lincoln square. I mean, you're, you're, you're rich in history there. I mean, you can't get closer to, I mean, (laughs) it's, it's less than a hundred yards away. Yes. So that's exactly you're in the heart of it. Now, if people want to find you online, where do they go? Sure. Uh, our website has kind of like the full palette of, of all the things that we're getting into these days. That's plowmancider.com, P-L-O-U-G-H-M-A-N, cider.com. Uh, you can certainly find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, those things. Uh, the Tap Room has its own social media presence as well. And, you know, if, if you're uh, of an agricultural leaning, we have – our, our farm's website and our farm's uh, uh, Twitter and, and Instagram and whatnot are also available. That's threespringsfruitfarm.com all written out, and Instagram and uh, Twitter would be the number three springs fruit. And definitely sign up for that Plowshare program. <laughs> yeah. it's if it's, you're not anywhere near Adams County and, and you're not going to be out here anytime soon, although I don't know why you wouldn't just drop everything and come here now, but <laughs> if you're not in the area, you definitely have the ability to try some of these products, try some of what you're making, and enjoy that. Yeah. We, we like to think of, of each cider we can and bottle as like a little, little uh, greeting from Adams County, a little representation of of all the the soil and the rich history we have in agriculture here, uh, trying to send those all over the United States and getting people to understand uh, what makes Adams County so unique. We've met you before. There's something, Ben, that, you know, when you meet somebody and and you just connect, right? That's you. And, like, I've learned so much today. And, and again, going back to the the history of your, your family and this county and farming – and your passion and your just thirst for knowledge, it's it, it just it's just great. And look, Dawn and I get to this is our adventure, so nice. we get to share this, uh, and and we're grateful that you took the time to share it with us. But you know, now we now we get to try some great ciders and <laughs> just just say you know of, of this experience. So I just can't thank you enough for your time today and meeting out with us. I know we we tried to put this together for a couple of months and. Um, we've, we've finally been able to sit down. So thank you again. And, and thanks for sharing what you're doing. And we look forward to all these, all these great new experiences with, with Plowman. Um, you know, a new friend of fermented adventure, but, uh, uh definitely along, along we're, we're in it. As long as you're going to ferment, we're, we're in it for your cider. <laughs> awesome. Well, yeah. Thank you guys for coming out and visiting us. It's, you know, certainly something that we're excited to do in general is, is, you know, sharing our kind of ancestral home with, with folks and, and bringing them out and getting them to enjoy Adams County and all the rich agricultural bounty we have here. And I want to thank you guys for making the trip out. Awesome. Thanks, Ben. You bet. Thank you.